0: So in any, any corporate environment, in any industry, there's a culture and the culture is the system of behaviors that are rewarded and then behaviors that are penalized. And the people who are at the top, they make the decisions and how they behave matters because based on how they behave, if they say a racist comment, everybody laughs, then that's okay. If they say a misogynistic comment or they say something in passing, it's okay because that's the culture. They set that. Now, the problem with that is if you have unaware leaders who don't get feedback and who are not held accountable, you create a toxic culture.
1: Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom- wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. If you've been listening to this podcast regularly, or if you know me well, you know, I live a life and career aligned with my values and I help others to do the same. Last weekend, I was out with a good friend. My leadership coach self can't help, but ask my friends how their jobs are going. Work is such a big part of life and there's so much change going on right now for everyone. After a long discussion, my friend called me a career therapist. It was the best compliment ever. No, I'm not a real therapist, but I can help you find career clarity to give you clarity on what matters most. And that's why I've built the You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching program. In the six month program, I help you gain clarity on what matters most, create the action plan to get there, to reach career fulfillment and lead as your authentic self. Here's what some of the program participants are saying. Because of this program, I've been more intentional about understanding my values and aligning my professional and personal life according to what I value most. I've also taken the time to deeply reflect on how I wanna show up as a leader. This program has shown me that it's okay to make decisions that are truly in my best interests. I know that if I'm 100% true to myself, I can lead in more powerful and impactful ways. Another participant said, participating in this program helped me gain the clarity I needed on what was most important to me in my career. The exercises, reflections, and conversations with supported women have helped me to make a career change that I would not have otherwise made. The structured framework coupled with a dynamic dialogue allows for personalized experience in a group setting. Best of both worlds. If you are a high achieving woman and want more fulfillment in your work, learn more at thecatchgroup.com. Apply to You Belong in the C-Suite Group Coaching Program now. Welcome to this week's episode of You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I had so much fun chatting with this week's guest, Diana Lowe. We talked about the importance of emotional intelligence for leaders, especially now with so many hybrid and remote workforces. As a certified executive coach, Diana helps remote leaders develop their emotional intelligence and communication skills to inspire their teams to higher performance levels, creatively solve problems, and positively impact their bottom line. Diana works with directors and senior executives in Fortune 500 companies to transform their team spirit and communication, turning low performing teams to highly productive and engaged teams. Her practice focuses on using evidence-based research and positive psychology for coaching, which allows for a whole person wellness approach. Diana calls Phoenix, Arizona home when she is not playing with her two little girls or hanging out with her hubby, you can see her on stage doing stand up comedy. And if you're wondering, no, she's not that funny. Well, I think she actually is that funny and engaging. And we had such a great discussion. I cannot wait for you to listen. Let's get started. Well, I am so excited to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. We hit it off in our first couple of conversations and I just knew that this topic and you specifically are going to be just a great discussion. Um, so I am so excited to have you here, Diana. Thank you so much. We have heard, I'm sure people have read all about emotional intelligence and we'll call it EI on this podcast especially now is like, you know, everybody's trying to be a better leader because there's so many different kinds of workforces now remote and in the office and hybrid and all of the things. Can you tell me what emotional intelligence is like your definition and then why you think it's a differentiator in leadership?
0: Yeah, sure. I, for me, I know that there are a lot of different definitions out there, but for me, emotional intelligence is really super simple. It's about understanding your own emotions in the moment and reading other people's emotions accurately so that you can make good decisions, decisions that create value. It's not about projecting how you feel. It's not, it's about more of being able to harness your emotions for good.
1: I love that. And I love your background, too, and kind of how you got into the space. Can you tell us more about that and your story? I started
0: with a career in finance, and that was a dream that was implanted in me. It wasn't my dream necessarily. But I figured if I became an expat in finance, that would be a pretty cool life because I wanted to live around the world. So I started in Mellon Financial. That's what it was called back then. And they loved me and they wanted to keep me on, but I didn't want to stay in Pittsburgh. So I asked them if I could move to the U.K., And they said, you know, you, if you move over there and get a visa, then we'll get you a job. So that's exactly what I did. And this was pre, like I said before to you, this was pre-internet. So I had to find a way to get a visa. That was really quite a difficult task. But once I did, they kept their side of the bargain and I moved to the UK, I moved to London, and I worked in finance. And as I was working in finance, I think it's no secret that for women of color, it's a pretty abusive culture. So a lot of things are like turned a blind eye to. And during this really challenging part of my career where I just felt so beat down, I had to take time to actually figure out like, what do I want? And the problem that I was facing was bad management. Mm -hmm. Management that was not held accountable, management that had free reign to act and behave however they wanted. And so when I really took myself out of that environment, it, it caused me a deep depression actually. And I had to go away like on six month leave to really like repair myself, to recover from all the, the psychological abuse and the verbal abuse. And that was a really horrible time, but also a really good time because I realized in that time, I wanna be a part of fixing this. I don't wanna be a part of allowing this to be okay. And so that's really where, how my career and my meaning and my purpose started. Because from that point on, I did go back to that work because that was my chosen field. And I started to develop myself and I started to do things outside of work and started winning communication competitions and public speaking. And then I was like, you know what, this really jazzes me. This really makes me excited. And so from there on, I started a few companies, helping people network, helping people with their public speaking. And that's really how I got started. And that's where I am today. This, that desire to create really conscious and aware managers of how their behaviors affect people, it matters. So that's what I'm in the business of, of really solving that
1: problem. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing your story. It's just so powerful. Like your own experience has guided you towards this completely different career to now make it better for other people so that they don't experience the same thing. I never want anyone to have
0: the horrible, it was horrible and toxic, honestly. And I don't fault the people who were doing it. It's the system. The system allowed for that. So I want to change that system.
1: What do you mean by that? What do you mean by the system enabled it? So in any, any corporate
0: environment, in any industry, there's a culture. And the culture is the system of behaviors that are rewarded and then behaviors that are penalized. And the people who are at the top, they make the decisions. And how they behave matters. Because based on how they behave, if they say a racist comment, everybody laughs, then that's okay if they say a misogynistic comment or they say something in passing, it's okay because that's the culture. They set that. Now, the problem with that is if you have unaware leaders who don't get feedback and who are not held accountable, you create a toxic culture. So then the people that you bring in are essentially in alignment with that. So you're creating more people who are toxic and the good workers and the people who are trying to do good by the business are pushed out. And that's a problem.
1: It is a problem. And I've, I mean, that was your experience. I've seen it um, as well in some of the cultures that I've worked in and some of the clients that I coach. And you're absolutely right. It's this idea of what gets rewarded. Uh, the behaviors that get rewarded are modeled. And those are the things that just get repeated and repeated and repeated within that culture. And it's interesting, like the things that, you know, it, a person goes into the culture and maybe they were a great leader, but then they see the behaviors that get rewarded and they potentially go the other way. You're absolutely
0: right. Because this is what I have with a couple of my clients right now is that they don't subscribe to this because they're in finance. So they don't subscribe to this alpha male sort of burn the bridges, burn the bodies, get the job done sort of. So it's really hard for them to show up authentically But then also because their behavior that is authentic to them doesn't match the environment, then they have an internal clash. So are they doing their best work? They're trying, but it's not in alignment, although they do like the industry. So I think there's a lot of place for disruption in the industry. I think there's a lot of place for people to stand up for themselves and be like, no, I'm not going to put up with this. And I think we're really seeing that, especially in finance, we're really seeing like a change in culture. It's slow, but it's coming.
1: Yeah. And I, I think you're right. It takes some of those leaders that are willing to be their authentic selves, because I, I think even in those cultures, that's what it takes, especially from the top, like the top jobs, like we need more people, more diversity and more authenticity in those jobs to be their authentic selves and model it. And that's really what changes cultures.
0: And it's awareness. I think, it, and this is why So my how, like how I do all this change and work and transformation is through emotional intelligence and really looking at a person instead of people are already hard on themselves, right? So I don't look at like, oh, look at your deficiencies. We look at like, what are your strengths and where can your strengths be dialed down or where do they need to be ramped up or what other strengths do you need to lean on? So I'm always looking at things through a positive psychology lens Uh, the science of what is going right with us, what's going well with us, not necessarily happiness, but how can we show up better? And I think most people want to show up better and they don't know how to calibrate that. Like what is better,
1: right? Yeah, no, I love that. So what, when you talk to leaders, how do you, as they like gain this self-awareness, what kinds of benefits do you see as they, become more self-aware of the benefits of emotional intelligence?
0: I like to think of it the simplest way as possible. It's that if you speak French, if you're showing up speaking French or whatever language you speak, the first thing is you have to be aware that this is your language. This is how you show up. This is how you speak to people. So speaking louder doesn't mean that people are going to hear you. (laughs) So it's not like you can speak French really loudly to a person who speaks Greek but they're still not going to understand. So like awareness is the first step. And when people say, okay, I, I see this is my way of showing up. This is my, how, my communication energy, you know, like a communication where I get my energy from. I'm an extrovert. I'm task focused. But Jamal is not. Jamal needs to understand the why. Jamal needs to really sit and think through these things. So they need to know that. It's not a personal thing. It's that that's how you need to show up. And that's really where I see the transformation because once people identify, okay, this is how I'm showing up, but these are how the other people need me to show up for them, then that allows them to, to create that transformation. So I have a, one of my favorite clients. Am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to say I have a favorite client? <laughs>
1: I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so one of my favorite clients was having like a real clash with his CEO. He was very senior on his in his company. It's a pretty big company, and he just couldn't connect with him. They were just headbutting, and it's because they just had different communication energies. So once we kind of mapped out, like, okay, this is how you're showing up, client, and this is how he needs you to show up. So when you're questioning him in front of a group, the board members. That's offensive to him. You can do the same thing, but you need to do it in a way that he's hearing it and not shutting down. So once he was able to be like, okay, this is I'm showing up. This is how, when I'm talking to him, I know my objective. How does he need to hear this objective? Like really hear it. And he's like, it's like a Jedi mind trick. Because <laughs> he was just like, his whole, his whole world changed. His marriage changed because he's showing up in a way that's more present and thinking about the other person, his relationship with his kids changed and not that he was bad before, right? It's just now he's so aware. He's like, this is, this matters. How I show up matters. How I think of other people matters. And so he's, he's up for different promotions. He's up for opportunities that were never even on the table before his team is shifting. And when he has conflict now, instead of, going to self preservation and thinking about himself, he goes, okay, this is how I'm feeling about it. He's naming it. Right. But how are these other people feeling about it? And as a leader, how do I need to show up to show them? I support them in this conflict. Even if I don't agree, this is hard work and this is not something that we're taught.
1: Yeah. And it's very, it feels very intentional. What other behaviors? um, So I've heard you say self-awareness, you know, putting yourself in the place of someone else. Um, what other behaviors are highly emotionally intelligent leaders doing? Like, what are some of the other behaviors that they have that you've seen?
0: This is like, there are so many articles about this. Emotional intelligence people do this. So they do that. I think what it comes down to is depending on the model you're looking at, depending on the different thing, it could be anywhere from 25 different competencies to four major categories to 42 different behaviors. I think the fact of the matter is you said it yourself just now it's intentionality. So we're intentionally taking the time to reflect on our behavior and we're from previous generations, not this generation so much, but previous generations, we never sat down and thought about our emotions. We never sat down and thought, I'm feeling really sad and rejected at this moment, you know, and sat with that and tried to understand it, get on with it, shut up and get on with it. That's what we are taught. So this is a whole new game for everybody and I what I see is emotionally intelligent leaders they're really how I kind of think of it is contemplative and it has nothing to do with their personality but instead of reactive they're responsible they're able to respond they don't they're not quick to judgment and even if they're outgoing or extrovert they're still thinking like okay How am I showing up and what are people seeing of me? How can I, we can control that to an extent, right? And then what are these people around me thinking about and what do they need to hear? So it's others awareness focus. It's thinking about, you know, how am I controlling or working within this conflict and managing my own emotions? The number one bad behavior, number one bad behavior of an unintelligent person, leader, if you will, is blame. You're blaming other people about things going wrong. You're not taking ownership. That's not leadership. I feel like I answered the opposite of your question.
1: No, I think <laughs> i, I That's so good. <laughs> opposite. I love it. So if you are trying to get better at emotional intelligence, um, what mistakes do you see people make as they try this new intentionality and, and all those kinds of things? What, what kinds of things is it like overthinking? Like what, what kinds of behaviors do people get tripped up?
0: Because emotional intelligence doesn't sit in a vacuum. You need other people to tell you. People don't get feedback and they go, well, I'm the most emotionally intelligent. Let me tell you about. But if you don't get feedback, because let me tell you, he wasn't present. He wasn't open. He wasn't showing interest in other people. He was disconnected. And that's an unproductive state of or emotionally intelligent behavior being disconnected. So he didn't show up authentically. He didn't show up genuinely productive states that people who are emotionally intelligent really show. They're present, they're inspiring. Th- these are the behaviors that we associate with somebody who's emotionally intelligent. He is a great person. And I think if he worked on it, he'd be amazing. But I think when we proclaim, oh, I'm this, and it's humbling to hear, how terrible you could be to somebody. I've done it with so many people around me to get feedback on all of my flaws and things that, and it's humbling. You're like, oh, I didn't know I came across like that.
1: I love that idea of getting feedback specifically for this. Like people who are emotionally intelligent are seeking that out, right? They're seeking it out and they're probably doing it informally too. It doesn't have to be like this big formal thing
0: it helps when it's formal and i say that because there is so, okay i'll give you an example yeah please my 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 husband always tells me you aren't listening to me you aren't listening to me right this is husband wife dilemma and oh and let me tell you the only time i heard that is when i saw a report from all the people around me in a 360 way and it had these metrics I don't know what it is about metrics and people. And then I was looking at my behaviors towards him. We put him under boss <laughs> <He was my laughs> boss under this exercise. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. And then I felt really bad because I was like, wow, this is saying he doesn't feel like he's hurt and he doesn't feel like he's valued based on the report and how it came out. And so I apologized to him. and was like, I am so sorry that you didn't feel heard. But before, when I took the informal advice, it was like, oh, whatever. So there's something about it being formal, sitting down, understanding, having a readout of these measurements. I don't know. Our brain just kind of needs that.
1: No, I, I like that because it almost feels like harder data, right? It's another, it's another data point. It's in this report.
0: It's in this report. So it must be right. And so... Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it is something about that. When you see that, like, let's say, for example, you work really hard. And I've seen this with some of my clients. You work really hard on being a great leader, but really you're doing things for yourself. And only in the 360 feedback, when you see how am I demonstrating these behaviors and how important are these behaviors to you? So let's say, for example, being on time, how am I demonstrating this? And is this important to you? And then getting feedback about um, this person never shows up to meetings on time after I've scheduled my day, then you're like, oh, now I understand how this is impacting you. So there, it does make a difference, I think.
1: Yeah. And I, I love a 360. So <laughs> this idea of just getting feedback to be able to rate yourself, your manager rating you, your peers rating you and um your direct reports rating you to get just a different perspective on how you're showing up because the same behavior can show up very differently because if you're doing the same thing like you said for everybody like oh i'm listening because i did this thing But when you did it with your manager, they perceive it in one way. When you do it for a direct report, they perceive it in a different way. When you do it for your peers, they perceive it in a different way. And so it shows like just all of the different perspectives and how probably you need to flex your style more.
0: I couldn't agree with you more because you can have a a person, let's say a leader, and they have a click and their click, they're like, oh my gosh, I love this person. They're great. They're great. They're great. But then you have six or seven people outside of this clique who are like, no, they are not great. And if you only get asked for informal feedback from this clique, what are you going to hear? Oh, yeah, I'm great. They love me. me." But it's really getting that whole picture. And that's really what emotional intelligence is about. It's not about big upping yourself on how great you are, because things change and dynamics change. We're not the same person that we show up to be every day. Some days we have good days, some days we have bad days. And so when you get that full picture, then you're like, oh, I never knew I left this group out. Or maybe you did and you just didn't care. That matters. That matters to morale. That matters to the bottom line. That matters to collaboration. That matters to the great resignation. That all matters.
1: Yes. Okay. So we just talked about 360 assessments. What about assessments on emotional intelligence? Are there tools that you like So that somebody can like, just go and take an assessment to understand like how their strengths or their opportunity areas. I think this is an opportunity
0: area for me to create something. Oh, (laughs) I think that's, (laughs) I think that that's actually in the works. Yeah. Because so here's the thing. Initially I used to do self-assessments with emotional intelligence to kind of understand like how socially intelligent, but we have too many blind spots. And even though we're hard on ourselves, I think most people are hard on themselves, at least people that I work with every day, like leaders, they're like, oh, I'm not doing this enough, or I could be better. Or, you know, it's voices from authority from when they were a child, you know, they have that hardness on themselves to an extent. Yeah. But at the same time, when we're doing an assessment, sometimes we're a little bit easy on ourselves. I always ask everybody how they're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I always take into account every opinions. I also sometimes use the Institute for Social and Emotional Intelligence. I really like their tool as well. I use them for different things. And there are different models and different things that um, other people use. I think at the end of the day, any sort of tool that helps you become more self-aware and get a, a solid picture of your behavior and how it's impacting others and a plan to actually change that behavior for the better for the betterment of your your family, your organization, whatever it might be. I think that is a good tool because my first go-to tool, believe it or not, for emotional intelligence is
1: DISC. Oh, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more about it. And tell everybody what DISC is if they don't know already.
0: So DISC is a tool that is it has many different versions, but DISC simply is a tool that allows us to see our communication energies. So where do we get our energy from in terms of how we're connecting with people? Are we task focused or are we people focused? Are we people who are fast paced or are we more deliberate? So I feel like once you understand how you're showing up, are you fast paced and you would be fast paced and deliberate but you would be fast paced and task oriented. Okay, now that we know this, let's see what EI looks like for you. And I think that's the simplest, simplest way. The other tools are great and really good for calibrating specific behaviors. And that's what I love the pinpointedness, not just like, oh, be nice to people, because being nice to people doesn't solve stuff. Creating value in a situation solves things. And a lot of the times, I- I'm sure you'll run into this. People go, oh, they're so emotional. They're so emotional. We're well, all emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the people who say so emotional, they, can observe that somebody is feeling something or they're showing it. And because they don't feel it or show it in the same way for them, they're like, it's all them. But the science of emotion is that when something happens, it first hits our emotion center in our brain. So we're going to, are we going to fight flight, or freeze, right? Like, where are we going? How are we feeling about this? And then it runs through the rest of the filters. So it's really important to understand what are we feeling? If I'm feeling threatened, I'm going to behave really differently. If my boss is like he's threatening to take my job or layoffs or whatever, I'm going to show up differently. So that's why it's really important, our emotions and how we work in the workplace, especially in a remote environment.
1: Ooh, tell me more. Tell me more. How is all of this, you know, I can't uh, the pandemic has impacted everything, but just work, where people are working and where people are leading. And so can you tell me more about emotional intelligence and this remote and now hybrid environment? So number
0: one, extroverts are really struggling. (laughs) We always hear about the struggle of the introvert to be in the world and like be around people or empaths are loving this remote environment because they're able to more be in their own energy. Introverts are loving this environment, but extroverts are like, help me. (laughs) And (laughs) I need people? But I think what people are finding is that they might have initially thought they had a grip on this leadership thing, but in a remote environment, it's not that much different in the sense that the behaviors of an emotionally intelligent leader still matter. How you show up still matters, but it's going to be in a slightly different way. It's just not going to be in a physical way. And I think there's a belief That people go you know in order to really be a great leader i have to be there i have to be with you
1: i have heard so many leaders top leaders at organizations say we have to be back in the office because that's the only way our culture is going to survive and how i can be a leader to my team because then i can see them and i can be there
0: it's not true i don't believe it that's not my vein of belief because i truly believe if you're a developed leader If you've really worked on yourself, you really understand your goal is inspiration. How you're showing up matters. So if we can think of somebody who inspires us, Gandhi, he's passed on, but his feeling still lives. The best leaders, they transmit feelings. They don't transmit because they're there. And yes, that does matter. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but think about in India, so many people have gurus. They're not necessarily living next to the guru, but it's how they make them feel. It's what they make them believe. It's, it's a whole ecosystem of feeling. And so leaders are really going to just have to dig a little bit deeper and in a different way in this hybrid and in this remote environment. But it's not something they can't do, but it is something they may not be able to do by themselves.
1: And what are you finding that, is it more intentionality? Is it doubling down on some of those behaviors we've already talked about?
0: I think a big part of it is the reflection Mm. because the reflection allows you to move forward. The reflection allows you to say, you know, I didn't handle that well, or I did handle that well. How can I repeat that? Or what about that did I handle well, and where would I change it? And how do people feel about it? Without that reflection, you know this because you run a business, you have clients, you have a family. We are not at a lack of things to do. We are not at a lack of overwhelm. There's always something. There's always a new this or that, the other. The quiet times are the most productive times. And coaching and doing this work, it doesn't take a lot of time. But it does take the intentional energy like you were talking about earlier. We were talking. That's where all of these things happen. Because that's when it goes like from the head to the heart. And the heart is the action. I always talk about the three brains, the head, the heart, and the gut. The gut will never steer you wrong. And the head thinks it's in charge. But really, it's the heart that's in charge. Because if you really, truly, deeply don't like yourself, or you truly don't like other people or something there, it shows in your actions. And that's the heart.
1: Mm, I love that so much. Well, I, I really appreciate our time together. It's just been so fun. And how can people get in touch with you and how can we find you find more of you?
0: Yes, thank you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am always on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Uh, my profile is Diana E. Lowe, and it's a picture of me in a yellow shirt. So you'll you'll find me and There. Uh, I also have Blue Light Leadership, which is our company that focuses on educating, training, and coaching and emotional intelligence for remote and hybrid leaders. So I my company has a page there, but really I'm always on LinkedIn and I'm posting and I'm active. So if you also want to book a call or you want to talk about like maybe there's somebody, a leader who you feel is insensitive or lacking empathy or perhaps you want your team to be more collaborative and you don't really know in this remote environment what to do, you can always book a call with me to talk through it. And that's, my website is dianalo.com. So really easy,
1: my name. And um, yeah, you can book a call there and we can talk a little bit more about it. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for your knowledge and passion around all of this. I really appreciate you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks
1: for having me. I want to thank you so much for listening to the, you belong in the C suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on apple podcasts by leaving a review. You're helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes, editing and support for the podcast is done by S and E podcast management to get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.